Some sermons come about pretty quickly. Some take a while to kind of uh, kind of simmer on the back burner, I guess you'd say. Um, this sermon has been a very long time in the making. A long time ago, probably as much as a couple of years ago, there's a seed planted in my heart and mind to preach a sermon titled, Can God Bless America? Can God Bless America? And I believe that today is the day that God wants me to deliver that message. And it's really with the heavy heart that I preach it because I love America. I love the idea of America. I believe in the ideals that America was founded upon. Uh, and I respect and support our military men and women and their families. They make a tremendous uh, sacrifice to willingly lay down their lives for people that, that they don't even know. But the fact that I love this nation makes this sermon even more difficult to preach, especially this close to the 4th of July. But, you know, no matter how much we love our country, no matter how patriotic we are, no matter how much we tear up when we hear taps or we get goosebumps when we see the flag blowing in the wind, as Christians we cannot and we must not turn a blind eye to America's spiritual condition. Our text today is going to be found in the book of Romans, the New Testament book of Romans, uh, chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 18. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. And for quite some time now, I've been struck whenever I see or I hear the phrase, God bless America. And I believe that God has blessed us much more so than we deserve. But whenever I see or I hear that phrase, oftentimes I think to myself, why? Why would God bless America? Why would He bless America? I mean, if you think about it, as a nation, we've basically turned our back on Him. We've kicked God out of our schools as, as a whole. Uh, many people have, have turned away from God. They've thrown His principles and His laws out of our families, out of our marriages, out of our society. Why would God bless America? And the issue that really triggered the sermon today is kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. It is no doubt what you've heard in the news about the Supreme Court ruling uh, regarding DOMA, or the Defense of, Mar Defense of Marriage Act. And that essentially recognized marriage as being between just a man and a woman. But this past week, as you no doubt heard, the Supreme Court overturned that, and they, they granted federal benefits to same-sex couples the same as opposite-sex couples. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at Romans chapter 1, and I want us to work our way through what Paul says, apply it to America, and, and see what the Bible says about God blessing America. So look if you would at Romans 1 and verse 18. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor God as God or give Him thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman, and burned in their desire for, toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, 
God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now, Paul starts out in verses 18 and 19 with a very basic truth. He says that everybody knows something about God. Everybody knows something about God, therefore, everyone is without excuse. Now, Paul is laying here the groundwork for what he's going to do later, which is indict the whole world and say that all the world is under sin. Doesn't mean doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, we're all under sin. Now, he says that all of us know something about God. Now, some people might, might say, well, I don't know about God because I've never been to a church before. I, I live in a country where the, the gospel is not freely available. Therefore, I can't be held accountable if I turn away from him. But Paul explodes that idea, and he says that all of us know something about God. How so? Well, first he says that it's evident within them. It's evident within them. Now, this is talking about the light of conscience. Every person has an innate sense of what's right and wrong. I, I work with, with children on a daily basis, and even the young kids, you don't have to sit down and give them a theological lesson about right and wrong. If something happens, it's not uncommon to hear even a small child say, that's not fair. Why? Because they have an innate sense of what is right and what is wrong. We all have an idea of, we're all aware of a moral law. And it stands to reason if there's a law, that law must be based on something, or in this case, someone. Things are right and wrong, not because of what society says, because that's always changing. Things are right and wrong because they either go along with, they reflect the nature of God and His character, or they go against it. So everybody has the light of conscience. And where did that light come from? It came from God. So everybody is, is, is accountable because they have the light of conscience. But then he says in verse 20 that everybody also has the light of creation. In other words, when you look at the world around you and say, where did all this come from? If you're intellectually honest, it will drive you to God. Psalm 19 says much the same thing. It says, the heavens declare the handiwork of God. He goes on to say that the voice of creation goes out through all the earth. There's no place where the voice of creation is not heard. And regardless of what kids are taught in school, this universe did not come about by chance. It did not come about by some random molecules just happened to get together. Where did all those molecules come from? It came from God. All this stuff that we see around us happened by a direct, intentional act of God. So everybody knows something about God, both through conscience, but also through creation. And therefore, everybody, Paul says, is without excuse. But verse 21 says, even though everybody has this knowledge of God, some people have, have, have turned from Him, and they instead don't worship God, they worship idols. They've turned from God to idolatry. Well, let me tell you, idolatry is rampant in America today. Of course, we live in a nation that has uh, many different religions. And listen, I'm all for religious liberty. I'm for it. Everybody has a right to believe as they see fit, even if that belief is wrong. And there are many religions in America that worship other gods with a little g. They worship animals. They worship Mother Earth. They worship all these different things. They're pantheists all around. Pantheists believe everything is God. God is everything. I mean, it's everywhere. And, and, and people have a right to believe what they want, even if they're wrong. But listen, even people who claim to be irreligious, atheists, agnostic, 
Even those people worship idols. Because what is an idol? Well, we think of an idol as being a piece of wood or a piece of stone that's being carved into a certain shape. And it is that at times. But in a general sense, an idol is something that is greatly revered or loved when that thing is not God. It's something that's not God that people love an awful lot. That's an idol. So some people, they don't, they don't have any use for God. But boy, they love money. And so guess what? That money is their idol. That money is their God. Some people, they, they have an exalted view of their own opinion, their own, their own intelligence, their own pride. That's their God. Some people, they've, they've made God in their own image. You know, the Bible says uh, God made man in His image. Somebody said since that time, man has been returning the favor. You know, sometimes people, people come up with an idea of God and they'll worship that, but it doesn't fit with what the Bible tells us about God. And verse 21 says, when people turn from God and they turn to idols, their hearts become darkened. Well, why does that happen? Because if you turn from truth, you're going to turn to error. The only alternative to light is darkness. And if you turn from the truth, if you turn from light, the only thing left for you is darkness. And so what is the outcome of all these things from, from God's perspective? Well, look at verse 18 again. It deserves His wrath. It deserves God's wrath. Now, the word wrath here has the idea of God's holy indignation towards sin. He's set against it. And one day, God will judge sin. He doesn't always do it right away, but God will always judge sin. His holiness demands that He do so. Now, it's popular today, especially in, with the intelligentsia of, of our society, those people who think they're smart want to have a whole bunch of letters after their names. It, it's, a, it's a big thing right now to, to turn your back on God and, and think that rejecting God makes you enlightened. And people think and act like turning their backs on God is going to lead to progression, to, to an evolution upwards. But if you'll notice what the Bible says, and you can, you can observe it just in life, turning your back on God does not lead to progression, progression moving forward. It moves to regression, regression moving backwards. It doesn't move to evolution moving, moving forward. It moves to devolution moving backwards. It doesn't lead up. It leads down. Now, has this happened in America? You better believe it has. I mean, America has, has drifted away from God, and you can see it in all spheres of life. You can see it symbolically, for instance, in the location of our churches. So what in the world are you talking about, preacher? You've been out in the sun too much. Now listen to me. Fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, where were churches located in a town? Right smack dab in the center. That's where they were in most people's lives, right in the middle of it. But now, if you'll notice, where are new churches today? They're on the fringes. They're on the outskirts of town. Now, some of those churches may have chosen those places willingly, but there have been many cases, especially just a few years ago, where, where towns and cities would use zoning ordinances in order to, to force the churches on, to the outskirts of town. It was very intentional. Since the Supreme Court ruled on DOMA and Proposition 8 just this past week, let me use that as an example. As of 1960, 53 years ago, every state in the Union, all 50, had anti-sodomy laws. 53 years ago. As late as 1986, the very same Supreme Court denied individuals had a constitutional right to engage in sodomy. 1986. That's not very long ago. Then in 2003, the Supreme Court struck down an anti-sodomy law in Texas, which affected other states' laws. And in 10 years, 
2003 to this week, in 10 years, the Supreme Court has gone so far as to say, in essence, the federal government must recognize those, those, those homosexual unions as being the same on par with heterosexual marriages. We've gone so far in 10 years, we've gone from, from, from saying that they don't have a constitutional right to do that, deviant sexual behavior, to now actively protecting and rewarding that same behavior. 10 years. That didn't take very long, did it? 10 years was gone like that. Now, was the ruling as bad as it could have been? No. But do you think it's going to stop there? I guarantee you it won't. In 10 years' time, we've gone, we've slid down so far, and I want you to understand what I'm saying. All people, regardless of whether you're straight, gay, otherwise, all people deserve to be treated with respect. Nobody deserves to be beaten or otherwise mistreated, and probably all of us here know somebody who practices homosexuality. Maybe it's in our family, maybe it's in our workplace, maybe it's in our school. All of us know somebody. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we must love them. But we must not compromise and condone their sin. And we talked about this in Sunday school. Jesus could be around the, the worst sinners in, in, of, a, of society, and they felt comfortable. They never once condoned their sin. And I think that's a hard thing to do, but we must strike that balance in there. And, and we have to remember that none of us is perfect. We all have sin in our lives. You say, yeah, but pastor, that says it's an abomination to God. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. But you know what? That's not the only sin the Bible calls an abomination. In fact, I'll, I'll read off some other things, and you might recognize some in your own life. For instance, the Bible says that haughty eyes, that's pride, is an abomination to God. You ever been proud? You ever struggle with that? The Bible says a lying tongue is an abomination. You ever lied? That's an abomination. It, it also says that, that one who spreads strife among brothers, a false scale that shadier dishonest business practices, evil plans, the prayer of, of a person who turns away from listening to God's instruction, the, the book of Proverbs says that is an abomination to God. And all of us have sin in our lives. And so we cannot set ourselves up as being the perfect example of morality whenever we, whenever we deal with these folks. We have to strike that balance in there. And there are all kinds of ways we can look at the decline of America. Some of you here might remember the day when you went to school and you had to memorize Psalm 23 or some other passage of the Bible. I guarantee you, if, there was a, if, if I went into school, whenever school starts back up and I say, Class, you have to memorize part of the Bible. You know how fast I'd be fired on the news? That, that's been within your lifetime, some of you. Just the other day, I saw an article that detailed how the U.S. military had banned Internet access to the Southern Baptist Convention website on some of their bases. We're Baptists. What, 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 why would somebody ban access to our website? Because their wording it contained, quote, hostile content. Have you ever been on the SBC website? It's not hostile at all. Of course, we look at other issues like the legal murder of millions of innocent children through abortion. Uh, we can look at how, how society views God's ministers. There was once a time in life, in the life of our country, where uh, the, the position of a pastor, of a minister, was a respected thing. When, when people held that in high esteem. But if, you will, if you'll pay attention to TV shows and to movies, if there's a priest, if there's a minister of any kind, you, you watch how they're portrayed. Usually there's some kind of crazy. 
They're a pervert. There's something wrong with them. About the only time that you can find a positive portrayal of them is in the show Seventh Heaven. And and that's been that's been off the air for a while. America reminds me of this of Israel back in Second Chronicles 36, and there it says the Lord, the God of their father, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets. Now that sounds like America today, doesn't it? Listen to the rest of that verse. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. Our nation has all but forsaken God, and when that happens, if you'll notice what verse 24 says, it's repeated throughout our text three times. The Bible says that when that happens, when, when people and nations turn their back on God, God gives them over. In other words, God, had, God in His grace, He restrains people from sinking deeper and deeper into their sin. But when He takes His hand off of them, they begin, to, they begin a, a rapid descent morally. And that's where America is today. We are in a moral freefall. And it's sad. It is a sad place from where we've come from. And if you look at verse 24 again and going all the way through the end of the chapter, it is like a description of contemporary America. Our society is plagued with all these sins. Not only homosexuality, that's the one that a lot of people uh, fixate on, but if you look at verses 29 and following, we, we also have a society filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, uh, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, uh, full of gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And that, that sounds like America. We live in a, in a country that calls evil good and good evil. So let's, let's answer that original question. Can God bless America? Well, I guess He can do anything that He wants. But given what the text says today, the text says that turning away from God will cause people to sink deeper and deeper morally. And then at the bottom of that pit are all these things that are outlined in this text. In verses 28 to 32. And people practicing those things, according to what the Bible says right here, is a sign that God has given them over. He's taken their hand off of them. Which in itself is a form of judgment. So with all that's going on in America today, can God bless America? Well, it looks to me from this, it looks to me like God's already beginning to judge America. It appears to me that He's already beginning or has given us over. Say, Pastor, if I would have known you would have been preaching this message, I wouldn't have come today. Because this isn't a very this isn't very pleasant. It's not. But you know what? That's what the Bible says. But I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you the rest of the story because there's still hope. Because part of what Paul is doing in the book of Romans, and especially in the first chapters, is he's laying out the case everybody is under sin. doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, pagan, atheist. doesn't matter who you are. All of us are under sin. All of us are headed to hell. That's the bad news. That's the problem. But the good news is there's a solution, and that's the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes these words. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, 
nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Very much what he said here. Such, here, here's the great part, such were some of you, he said, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. In other words, these people, they were involved in the same type of stuff that Paul is telling about in Romans chapter 1. But they've been saved. God has delivered them from their old life. He has saved them from their sin, from the power and penalty of sin, and He's given them eternal life. And that's the only hope that any person has. That's the only hope that America has. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because He alone can save and make a person clean. Jesus alone is the one that can transform the heart and transform the life. Jesus alone can save our marriages and our families and our society. Jesus alone is the answer. And I call on all people, all people of faith, we need to pray. We need to get ourselves right and we need to get our churches right. We need to stop playing church. We need to stop going to church. And we need to be the church. The old preacher Vance Hadner once said, we'll not have a better America until we have better Americans. How are you going to have patriotism and honor and decency, integrity and morality and character when every man does that, not which is right in his own eyes, but what he wants to do, whether it's right or not? And again, I, I issue a call on each person who loves America, who doesn't want to see God's judgment poured out on our nation, to pray. Pray that God would bring us back to Him. Pray that we as Christians would not be complacent, that we would be active in our faith, that we would be serious about our faith. And pray not that God would bless America, but that America would bless God. Why don't you stand with me as the musician comes. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you agree with what I said, maybe you don't. Either way, there's no, there's no arguing the fact that we are not where we used to be as a nation. You don't know how heavy a heart I had as I, as I stood before you and preached that message because it is not a fun message because I love America. still hope. The hope that's true for America is the, the, the hope that each of us has as individuals. That's the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. That if we will repent of our sins, if we'll turn our back on them and call out on Him in faith, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And maybe you've never done that. You need to do it today. You don't know how long you've got. It's what we need to do individually. It's what we need to do as a nation. But I encourage you now, just take a few moments to pray. Pray for our leaders. We'll make godly decisions. Pray for our churches that we'll be the light that we're supposed to be. Lord, 
bring a two-edged sword. And it's easy in the fervor of patriotism to turn a blind eye to what's really happening. But I ask that you would help us today to see things as they really are, to see things from your perspective. God, we ask that you would not judge America or that judgment that may already be beginning that you would stop it. Not because of the discomfort, not because we don't deserve it, because we do. But stop it because we've turned to you. And God, I ask you to help each of us that are together here today help us to be right with you. Not just to look at those on the outside and, and talk about how bad it is that they're not right with you, but help us to be right with you. Lord, if there's somebody who's heard this message today and they realize that they've never accepted Christ, help them to do that. Let them become your child. Lord, again, we thank you for your convicting spirit. In Jesus' name.